Welcome to the You Podcast. I am your host, Andy Payton, and today I have two special guests who will discuss the very important topic of tort limits. You know our first guest, probably, Tom Carraway. Uh, he's been an insurican for, sorry, Tom, decades. <laughs> and uh, Tom is a Partner Club member and our environmental practice leader, and so he's in studio today. Also with us is our special guest, all the way from Tulsa, Samantha Marshall. Sam is an attorney in Tulsa with Rosenstein, Fist, and Ringgold, and her specialty area is education and labor and employment. So obviously, understanding governmental tort limits is essential to those and other industries, but especially education. So welcome to the podcast, Sam and Tom. It's great to have you in studio with us. Thank you, Andy. Um, this is one of those podcasts so uh, that I think is going to go you know, viral because of the incredible information that's going to be contained in this. Mm-hmm. But it really does speak directly into one of the important aspects of our craft. Um, you know, uh, insurance agents are, are usually not lawyers, although some insurance agents have, have law degrees. But you know, we deal with contracts and uh, all the legal jargon that goes along with contracts. And so it's not unusual at all for us to have very good and close relationships with attorneys who actually are lawyers and do actually have degrees and actually practice this as their craft. So there's sort of a synergistic energy that, that goes along between our profession and the legal profession. So Sam, it's great to have you here with us. I'm going to back out of this pretty quick because this is uh, going to be more of a conversation between our practice leader, Tom, and our in-house, uh, in-the-studio expert, uh, Sam Marshall. But before we get there, I just thought it would be uh, always good to get to know our guests a little bit on a more personal level. So, Sam, we're thrilled that you were willing to make a, a drive all the way from Tulsa to Oklahoma City to be our guest in studio today. But I uh, wondered if you could just kind of give us a little bit of sense, you know, hey, where'd you come from? Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? How'd you find your way into the legal profession? Those kind of things. Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you for having me. And it was a beautiful drive. So I appreciate it <laughs> actually not being chained to my desk for a little <laughs> bit. Um, so I am a Tulsa native, um, grew up, raised by my grandparents, uh, Booker T. Washington graduate, IB Hornets diploma, yes, <laughs> recipient. Um, and then I, uh, you know, long story short, I left, went to USC for undergraduate school, studied journalism, theater. Um, then I taught. I taught. I uh, did some theater with okay. a local um, Shakespeare group. And then, sort of on a whim, I took the LSAT and thought I'm gonna, you know, maybe go to law school. I had always wanted, I had always had an interest in law school and always thought I might do an advanced degree. And I didn't really know what that would look like. Or if I did law school, I probably wouldn't practice, but I'd really enjoy the, I'm sort of a school nut. I love, I love school. So um, anyway, I, I decided that I would apply to University of Tulsa Law School because um, I wanted to come back home. And then kind of the rest, you know, again, is history. Fantastic I, uh, law school. Yeah, it's it was a TU. really great experience. We yeah, want to make yeah. sure we emphasize here in Oklahoma, it's TU, not UT. Yeah. Tulsa University. Yeah, way yes. different. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, we, you know, and then I was um, a law clerk with Rosenstein, Fist, and Ringgold as a third-year law student. They offered me a job. Awesome. I, 
took it, and then uh, I was recruited away, and then some several, several years later, I was asked to come back, and so here I am. And I'm happy to be back because, frankly, I love doing labor and employment. It's great work, um, really enjoyable, um, love my clients, but the education piece is really something that's near and dear to my heart. Fantastic. You know, we... Uh, uh, our mantra here at Insurica, among other things, is we talk about the total cost of risk. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. just the insurance, it's everything. And so mm-hmm. uh, you, you start imagining the various ways that um, businesses can find themselves in peril. <laughs> and uh, I would imagine uh, one of the, the huge areas of concern uh, that should be for concern for em- employers is to be sure they're uh, adhering to all those important laws because uh, suddenly you could find yourself bleeding money because of a uh, of a loss in that area that you haven't uh, really sort of prepared for, but um, absolutely, I can I can understand how important your area of practice is to employers, and then uh, as we seek to help employers be best in class as well, I yes. can see how yes. all that goes together. Yes, and prevention, you know, like education, sure. preventative. Let's be preemptive about what we're doing on the front end, so that we can um, minimize the mm. risk on the back end. Yep. You know, um, the best claim is one that never happens. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Well, thank you, Andy, for hosting us. And Sam, yeah, thanks thank for, you. again, thanks. Give us, uh, frame it up for us, Tom, to let everybody know what we're going to be so talking about today. So the framing is, in Oklahoma, we have what we in insurance call the Political Subdivision Tort Reform Act, or many times the Act, and it's unique to state entities. It doesn't apply to private business large, small, and state entities have this. Schools as a part of the state of Oklahoma, public schools have this. Private schools do not have the benefit of tort. So, Mm -hmm. Sam, it's going to be a conversation about tort limits, what tort is. So so the first question would be along the line of what what is tort reform? Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, I have to do the very uh, lawyery thing right now. Oh, yeah, do that, do that. Yeah, so I, I mean... I wouldn't be much of a lawyer if I didn't do that. (laughs) We totally understand. Hit us with the disclaimer. Right. So, you know, this is not advice. This is just a conversation. Um, And, uh, and though, you know, uh, we've, we've discussed these issues before and obviously I'm very well versed in these issues. Um, Today is more of an exploration and discussion versus uh, advice. Absolutely. This is entertainment and education. Yeah. Entertainment may be a broad (laughs) word for, well, well, you know, um, So tort reform. So, you know, tort reform is this idea that's driven predominantly by economics. The idea is, you know, let's make some administrative obstacles. Let's put those in front of a plaintiff's way. Um, Let's limit damages that are available to a plaintiff, and let's make a jury trial harder to get. And the reason for that, um, in theory is so that, uh, you know, particularly from the public entity perspective, from a school's perspective, you know, these are taxpayer dollars. And so if we have, you know, numerous frivolous complaints, um, we're having to kind of navigate those. And so being putting these obstacles in place does a couple of things. One, it hopefully discourages some claims that maybe aren't, so merit-based, um, and it also limits, of course, the amount of money that can be recoverable. Now, the flip side of that is, you know, it also creates 
serious challenges for plaintiffs at times. And on occasion, you have a, a case where there's, you know, extreme damages. And we're going to talk about this a little bit today, I think. But, uh, you know, the we our, our damages are going to be limited coming out of this tort reform. And um, sometimes the actual damages are going to ex- far, far exceed what is actually available to a plaintiff. But, you know... If we didn't have this in place, insurance premiums would continue to go up. We'd be, you know, continuing to sort of pull from that public fund bucket. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of the mechanisms that we use to curb that. Okay, Sam, talk specifically about Oklahoma tort limits and what they are. And then to follow up with that, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about what they don't apply to, but talk about what those limits look like. Yeah, so as you mentioned, Tom, you know, there's the Oklahoma Governmental Tort Claims Act in Oklahoma. It applies to state, the state, state agencies, public, uh, political subdivisions, which would include a school district and, and uh, including technology centers, some public trusts. And the idea here is that these state entities, these governmental entities, have sovereign immunity. So they're immune from liability except to the extent that they're not. And the extent that they're not, at least in the tort world, is governed by this Tort Claims Act. And so, first of all, one of the things that it does is it creates, again, these administrative hurdles. You know, you have a timeline as a plaintiff that you have to comply with, and there's a notice provision, and that has to go to the right person. Um, And these timelines are pretty serious. I've actually had cases dismissed because somebody's been off a day. Mm. Um, And, you know, then there's a time for denying or accepting a claim and then a filing of the lawsuit. Um, But the even if there's a recovery there, um, it's governed by, as you said, that there's some caps in the law. So, for property damage, for instance, um, we're talking about twenty five thousand uh, dollars. For a loss, a loss caused from a single occurrence, um, one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars. If you have, um, you know, uh, an entity that has a population of three hundred thousand or more, that is increased to one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars. And then if you have multiple losses out of the same incident or same occurrence, the max that can be recovered altogether collectively is $1 million. And as you know, you and I know, you probably know better than I know, um, I mean, with in particular with like that uh, $125,000 limit, you know, if you have a personal injury, uh, medicals can eat that up pretty quickly if Absolutely. there's not adequate coverage. So just to clarify, I'm uh, we have a we have a an insured a school district in Oklahoma. They have an automobile accident for which they're at fault. They they total another vehicle. It's their hundred percent at fault. The most we're going to pay for that other vehicle is twenty five thousand dollars. Correct. So if they hit a new Cadillac, and it's worth $75,000, all that plaintiff, all that other party is collecting is $25,000. Correct. Okay. And we've talked about bodily injury and the like. Let's spend a few minutes talking about federal claims for school board legal liability, employment practices, that labor law that you've practiced. 
talk about why tort doesn't apply to those. Yeah, yeah. So when, you know, again, when we talk about torts, we're talking about losses that are not contractual. Um, sometimes we argue about what is a tort and what is a not, not a tort. Because if we're defending, for instance, a school district, you know, sometimes we will say this is a tort so that you, you've had to comply plaintiff with all these things and you haven't done that. Sometimes that's a winning argument. Sometimes it's not a winning argument. But, you know, we're, we're looking at personal injury, bus accidents, um, slip and falls, this kind of thing, uh, injury to uh, reputation. But there is, separate from that, a whole world of claims that aren't tort. Um, and the things that you touched upon, you know, board, board member liability, uh, civil rights claims, um, all your discrimination type of provisions like ADA, uh, you know, um, um, race discrimination, sexual harassment, all of that. Um, your employee, for instance, uh, possibly has engaged in some conduct that wasn't appropriate, and that would be probably going to be construed as some intentional conduct, and that is going to take it outside of the world of, of torts, and you're not going to have that, production, that protection of, of the GTCA. That's the Governmental Tort Claims Act. So in those instances... Um, you know, or I should say, you will, you know, you need separate coverage to cover those types of claims because your damages could be much, much greater than what we talked about under. And the those are going to be in federal court. Could some of them be in state court also? Yes, some of them could be in state court also. So the yeah. limit that applies for tort limits under the Act, for instance, you could you could in a discrimination case be held liable for millions of dollars. And have to pay that. Right. It depends on what uh, provision we're being sued under, you know. Okay. For Title Seven, you know, you've got some caps there that are federally um, established. But, but yeah, there are provisions under federal law in particular. And actually under um, the Oklahoma, you know, Oklahoma Anti-Discrimination Act has, is sort of mirror, mirrors the federal claims uh, in that regard. And there's no... There's no cap there. So, yes, you're right. I mean, think about pain and suffering, mm-hmm. um, this type of thing. So I don't want to get us too far off track, but I do have a question that, that sure. maybe we could touch on really quickly because, you know, in the non-governmental world mm-hmm. out there, we're selling employment practices insurance, uh, EPLI, directors and officers liability. Right. It's, it's, it's kind of that section and I know that uh, one of the important considerations as we uh, visit with our customers uh, about this is that third-party liability. Because sometimes, you know, sexual harassment, discrimination, those kinds of, of claims, sometimes those happen internally in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, an employee sues the employer, but sometimes we have a third party that would allege discrimination or harassment, et cetera. How does that idea pass through the, the tort um, Act that we're talking about. Yeah, you know, in that in that instant, and Tom, you weigh in here too. I mean, it it doesn't really pass through um, the GTCA. It would be something it separate, be like separate, you're, separate. you're talking. Right. So, mm-hmm. so whether it's first, second, or third party, right. it's it's going it to be matter. outside GCTA. Yep, yep, yep GTCA. Yep. Sorry, right, yep. right. And that's what you would see with 
discrimination claims and like, whether they're first party or third party. Right. Or, well, second party or third party. Yep. Mm-hmm. You see that. Okay, so we have, with our technology center program and then many of the public schools we work with on their insurance program, we get requests all the time. We need to name someone as an additional insured. It could be the company providing the copier. It can be an off-site event happening at a premise. We need to give them waiver of segregation. They won't do this without it, et cetera, et cetera. We, we tell them you, you cannot do that because, because that's not legal. However, you're an attorney. Now you can really, now you can really tell us why we're telling people that that is not, that is not able to be offered. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to that disclaimer at the yeah. beginning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, no. Um, I've looked at some of those contracts. Uh, so, you know, I, this is a very, I can't tell you, well, not much in laws, black and white, because if it were, you wouldn't need attorneys at all. Um, but with respect to a public entity, it kind of, let's, let's go back and talk about, like, think about the fact that you have this sovereign immunity, right? you know, and that you have a limited, um, waiver of that sovereign immunity. When we think about or talk about adding an additional insured, um, we're potentially, potentially jeopardizing that sovereign immunity. Now, you know, one of the things that I know, you know, your clients, my clients, they're well-versed in, is that, you know, as an entity of the state, we can't gift, um, we can't loan our credit, we can't indemnify, because, you know, stepping in place and saying, I'm going to I'm gonna take that for you, um, that's a gift. That's, you know, lending my credit. That's doing something gratuitously. So when I think about these principles and in the idea of an additional insured, I'm sort of driven by that idea that if I say to you, third party, I'm going to just add you on my insurance policy um, out of the goodness of my heart, that is arguably um, a gift. And there's this uh, AG's opinion not to get too legal about it, um, and it doesn't have. Oh, to. please do! Please do! Please do! <laughs> Delicious. It, yeah, it's <laughs> it's 2007, and it's actually it doesn't deal with the school district at all. But the concepts, it's a state entity. Concepts are are the same, and one of the things that the AG says in this opinion is, um, you know, when you have an when you have insurance coverage, and you know, the insurance has agreed, insurer has agreed by contract to say, if you do something wrong, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to handle this. Then the third party is protected too. So the only thing that the additional insured does is to protect that party from their own actions, arguably. And it's hard to sort of skirt that that's, you know, not a gift. I mean, get around that character. You also have the issue of public funds, you know. It is the taxpayer's money. It's public funds that are paying for these policies. Correct. You're right. And you probably, you know, you're familiar. There's provisions in uh, Title 70, which is the school law code, and it talks about, you know, board um, powers, and it does speak to insurance specifically, 
but it speaks to purchasing insurance for the entity and the entity's employees. Now, to play devil's advocate, okay, employee is defined very broadly. You don't have to be paid. You could be doing a service for the district. So there may be some circumstances when public funds are being, you know, utilized and what we are getting is a public purpose, a government purpose that's being fulfilled that we can't fulfill any other way. And we've agreed to do this contractually in the front end because as part of the consideration because we really have no other way to accomplish those goals, then that might be defensible. So, you know, it's not it's not a uh, one size fits all type of answer. I mean, so in general, so, we don't have this we don't want to be granting additional no. insured. Now if you have a no. volunteer who meets that definition of employee, mm-hmm. that they may be providing something to the district sure. that is yeah. but so but generally it's not a good idea. Okay, that's 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 what we tell people and <laughs> now we now we know why. Hey, hey, let's talk about uh a couple of things. Are, when's the last time we increased the limit for for Tordax? More than half my life ago. Okay. Um, yeah. No, it was. Now I'm going to age myself. I was going to say twelve <laughs> years ago. <laughs> no, yeah. no, I love you, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. I knew why I volunteered for this. Right. No, um, early. I mean, early two thousands. I mean, so. And there's no discussion to increase them. No. So no. just because Oklahoma has tort limits doesn't mean Texas, Kansas, the bordering states have identical limits or even tort limits at all. Yeah, right. Both. To, both so every so state would have its own. Have so own just structure. to just to go off on a little bit of a tangent, yeah. we have a vehicle in Texas. Mm-hmm. There's an accident. <laughs> the Texas tort limits and the tort act in Texas applies, even though we're a state of Oklahoma agency. Is that true or not true? Well, you're going to take me back to civil procedure. Okay, like there we go. I love that. Does it depend school. on where the, the suit is filed? You know, well, um, <laughs> you know, I think there's this like minimum contacts, Volkswagen. Somebody's out there going to be cringing and going, don't you know more civil procedure than that? Um, but, you know, it, there's, there is a concept that as an entity of the state of Oklahoma, that, a, that again, um, our immunity is waived in a limited manner. So whether, even though the accident happened in Texas, whether we would have um, a defense to, to not have Texas law there, not to, ha- I mean, do we have enough contacts that, contacts with the state that we can be hauled over there is it going to matter that we're a governmental entity you know that's that's again that's an analysis that you know has to be taken at the time um but i will put my neck out here and say that i think we would have some defenses to say that you know we shouldn't be in texas okay we get that yeah you know the way the way the world is now though Everybody goes. But yeah. if you're a if you're After a the pandemic, a school district or whatever, yeah. that that understanding might um, encourage you to uh, charter a bus uh, to Texas rather than take a a school bus or right. something. You know, right. those those right. are kind of those 
those considerations that, that right. would be on the table as they make those decisions. That's a really good point, Andy. I mean, so that you would contract with the provider so that that provider has the insurance. If that provider messes up, it's on the provider. Yeah, you put it's, it on a yeah, third party, mm-hmm. you transfer mm-hmm. liability by contract. And you don't even have to have that argument or hire somebody like me to go back and look at civil procedure and figure out what we're supposed to do. Well, bus charter companies would... Would like they probably then. think that they would probably <laughs> think that you would think they'd be contacting uh, <laughs> educational right, right, right. yes 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 okay so final when it comes to tort and defense and all of these type of claims let's talk about prompt reporting for a minute mm-hmm. and how important it is the minute you receive an EEOC notification or whatever that notification is what should what should an insurer do when that's that school district technology center? What do they need to do? They need to call you <laughs> or whoever they talked with here at insurer. Sure. No, they yeah. Notice is essential, and and timing is critical. I mean, as you know, everybody knows we have policies. No offense to you, insurance people, but those are very technical documents and indeed you know, and they're thick and they're. You know, they're dense, and there's a lot of um, if this, then this. And so we don't want to miss any kind of obligation that a district might have, technology center might have, to notify you. Um, if we miss the window, um, and it's not like a day, you know, but still, if we miss the window, we could lose our coverage. And so it is, it is essential and, and besides, I mean, we may, depending on the policy, maybe, you know, there's some coverage for a tort claim. Maybe there's not coverage for the tort claim. Maybe there's coverage for the EEOC charge, or maybe we have to wait till a, lawsuit, a lawsuit's filed. But having you be aware as a critical member of the team as we go into defense mode is, is essential. And then we report that to our carriers, and in some cases they're reported direct to carriers. And so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah. Um, you know, I again, I'm going to just go back to something that we talked about um, earlier with, with prevention, okay? I am, again, I mentioned a proponent of education. I love to go out and be able to go visit with folks and just talk about the laws and what can we do. But I'm also very pragmatic, um, and I really, really believe that when you have a team, you have a team for a reason, and that you should be a well-oiled, functioning machine, and that is inclusive of your people in your departments, in your, in your actual your district, um, folks like you all, and then you know your legal team as well, your auditor, and that we all need to be working together, um, and you know everybody who's on the ground needs to be educated about, you know, what, what are the expectations? What are the obligations? What is the GTCA? So that they can make informed decision decisions and help you as a district stay out of risk. That's a great point. Great point. Andy, you ready to take us away? I am. Thank you very much. Uh, Sam, thanks for making the drive to, to our studio and being our guest. Uh, Sure, we've scratched the surface, uh, but yet I feel like we've learned an awful lot. Uh, Silly me, I thought when Tom said we're going to have a conversation about tort limits, I thought, what does it matter how tall you build a multi-layer cake? Cake, yeah, chocolate. (laughs) Which is uh, 
I guess known as a tort <laughs> in my world. But no, I, I kid. I hope that our audience that's listened to this has found the kind of value that, that we hoped it would have. Uh, we appreciate you listening, and we always want you to keep your eyes open for the next episode of the U Podcast. Thanks. <laughs>